Hey y'all, this is Mo. I just want to thank you for choosing to listen to Parenting is Political. There are over 700,000 podcasts out and active right now, today. So the fact that you're listening to this one, I don't think it's a coincidence, and I appreciate you being here. If you'd like to show your support for Parenting is Political, you can go to our website and sign up as a paid subscriber. There are monthly giving options as well as one-time donation options. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they aren't free to make. So I would appreciate any support that y'all could give to help me continue to make Parenting is Political. I hope y'all enjoy the episode. Bye! Welcome back to Parenting is Political. This is Mo. And I'm Jasmine. And we have had a very long break since our... It was last decade. A hiatus. <laughs> yeah, since 2019, we haven't really done an episode. So we're back for yeah, now. Yeah, we had some shit to get done. You uh, picked up some work, mm-hmm. doing some digital organizing, and well... Nothing to bring you back to your podcasting schedule than uh, a global pandemic. I'm just going to quarantine and make lots of episodes for you guys. Yeah. So you'll have something e- to listen to. <laughs> or at least an episode every day. Oh, It'll be like oh my gosh. day 32 of isolation. Which is kind of like the whole vibe of Parenting is Political. We'll go months without doing something and then we'll re- like release three or four episodes that are like super good. <laughs> and then you won't hear from us. For another several months. That's okay. I know. That's that's, right. that's what I said. That's the that's the vibe of it. Mm. I love one person on Twitter s- suggested us to um, someone who was looking for some good resources, and they said they're a bit inconsistent, but they're great. And I was all, I'll take it. <laughs> 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 that is, that is us. So well, but I also we are, we super duper resist the whole we, yeah. Um, commodity extraction kind of model where Mm -hmm. we are doing this thing and so everyone expects a product when they want it or in the same time frame that mainstream, you know, practices say that you should deliver. We prioritize our life and our kids and not work. We do. And we, we actively practice, you know, quality over quantity. You know, there's a huge pressure within content creators to constantly be pushing out things, even Mm -hmm. if they're like, just not like it's it doesn't it's not worth saying you know like or, so we're you know what we try to do when we are making our podcast or posting things on our social media is we want to make sure that it's real and we want to make sure that it's in alignment with who we are and just like you said like when we have stuff going on the beginning of the year is always like really hard for us and there's lots going on so when we try to force it to happen <clears throat> yeah. it's like meh so prioritizing care for ourselves and our community, but then also making sure that we instill a level of intentionality mm-hmm. around the conversations that we're having. And oftentimes I think influencers or content creators or artists of all kinds feel a lot of external pressure to always respond to the moment and to always have something to say. And it's sometimes disingenuous. It's not really intentional and thoughtful yeah. and held in a way that is in alignment with who they are, they're just feeling that pressure to keep up, to keep up with the grind and, you know, don't let your voice disappear because then you'll lose all your followers. And, you know, honestly, fuck that. Yeah. We like the two of you that are still listening. <laughs> you are our family, actually. <laughs> Never leave us. Um, I have abandonment issues. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about... <laughs> we're going to be talking about on this episode, as Jasmine alluded to at the beginning, um, the Rona. 
COVID-19, also known as coronavirus. Also known as the Rona. The Rona, or Mo calls it the Rones. The Rones, which you detest completely, wholeheartedly. Uh, Why did you want to talk about COVID-19, my love? Well, I think that in times of pandemic... (laughs) Which is literally Casual. Which is literally a phrase I never thought I would say in my lifetime. But yeah. during moments like this, it's really easy for all of the default structural and social oppression that we've internalized and that we actualize every day through our systems and just through our relationships. It's easy for that to go on autopilot and us to um, devolve in a way because fear and urgency and threat really put us in this place of fight or flight and freeze. And oftentimes we, it's really easy to forget that community is where our power is and that community is where um, our healing and restoration is. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to have a conversation to call the parenting is political um parenting and caregiving community into accountability with one another and um, to really be able to articulate this moment in time is, is a space for us to really lean into those intersections of where the politics of our everyday life and parenting and caregiving are not separate. No, not at all. And, um, you know, like a lot of what I've been seeing online recently in the midst of just like this high panic situation is mm-hmm. a lot of folks calling each other into community care. Yeah. And I would love to hear, I guess, your thoughts on that. Well, I think that so many of us have been socialized by patriarchy, capitalism, and white supremacy. So the idea of community care can be really difficult to enact. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of us in black indigenous POC spaces have some roadmaps for Um, community care and mutual aid, but in many ways, because we are colonized people, because of the impacts of settler colonialization, um, it's really easy to move into this individualistic framework, particularly whenever um, infection Mm. is a part of the conversation, right? You become afraid that you're going to get infected by being in community, having contact. And so isolation feels like a solution and it's actually the opposite, Right, we drawing closer to each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just sort of ironic because the um, recommendations are around social distancing, um, and you can social distance and you can practice uh, being mindful of like herd immunity while also practicing being in in kindred community with one another. Yeah, and I guess um, my question is, how do you do that? How do you practice community care while also having to maintain? A level of, like, physical distance from folks. Well, the first thing you do is send me all of your toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) No. Just leave it outside our house. I think the first step is really changing your, your, like, your psychosocial framework, Mm -hmm. being intentional about resisting the fear of scarcity. Yeah. It's happening right now. It's big time. People are going into stores and seeing absolutely nothing there because everyone is saying it's time for me to survive. I'm going to have all that I need and then some. And the idea of taking a small portion so that other people can have portions is not something that we are attuned to practicing. Mm -mm. 
And so we're stockpiling and we're hoarding. And then those who need it most aren't getting it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the thing that's really been, once really put a hitch in my giddy up. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's what my grandma used to say. Really? Put a hitch in my giddy up. Um, What has really been pissing me off? There we go. I understand that. (laughs) Are the white folks across social media who are talking about being prepared. Can you not? Can you not talk about like pandemic preparedness because you you like have generational wealth. Mhm. You're usually come from landowners. You have resources and access. You have paid time off. And I know that there are working poor white people. I'm not I'm not talking about those mm-hmm. <laughs> those folks, right? Mm-hmm. The working white people, working poor white people are in solidarity with people of color, right? Their whiteness, their privilege of whiteness sort of flattens out um, when we get down to the, the micro levels of impacts of structural inequity. But just generally, like, don't fucking come at me about preparedness, mm-hmm. please and thank you. <laughs> yeah. I guess this has, like, this whole conversation has really, um, not even conversation, this whole, like, pandemic has really shown the seedy underbelly of capitalism in our society, right? Yeah. And of white supremacy. It's it's showing on a very, like, macro level mm-hmm. how much the disparities between, you know, racial equity, socioeconomic equ- equity yeah. is... Um, it's so vast. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the ethnography of... What does that word mean? <laughs> so, like, the ethnic lay of the land. Okay. Um, like, the geography that is specifically related to race and ethnicity. Okay. When you think about that, the majority of people who are going to be impacted by coronavirus, whether they are infected or, or they experience the fallout of it, are black indigenous people of color. Because the majority of us have been forced into cities um, because of the way Reconstruction went and because of the way land ownership and white supremacy and redlining has been. Been forced into highly populated cities because that's where we can get work. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can find places to live. And guess where the coronavirus is most deeply concentrated? In places where you can actually do a lot of social distancing. Mm -hmm. In highly populated areas. And guess who lives in highly populated areas? Black, indigenous, people of color. And so it's structural inequity, again, being revealed as the thing that is putting us at risk. Like, this is about white supremacy. Capitalism is white supremacy. You can't separate the two. Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) Get it all out there, babe. (laughs) So, So how does this... I mean, this is... Parenting is political, so... Relating it back to parenting, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents right now are experiencing um, a lot of different hurdles and obstacles. Their school's shutting down. Mm-hmm. They're having to talk to their kids <clears throat> about something that's really, I mean, it's it's scary. There's a lot of, you know, things that, the emotions that can be brought up in kids who are yeah. understanding this. So a uh, two-part question, I guess, is... How are we talking to our kids about it? And what's something that, that parents can be doing during this time of having kids home at, from school for month, two months? Mm-hmm. What does that kind of look like? How is yeah. that going to change our interactions? I mean, so there's the, there's the like, 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of stuff. You know, you talk to your kid about their safety first, Mm -hmm. that they're going to have food, they're going to have water, as much as it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important for our listeners and for just all of us to acknowledge that there are some people who have to, like, their reality is that they're not going to have enough food. Yeah. They're not going to find access to toilet paper. They're not going to get the resources that they need to be through this phase of quarantine that could last two months Mm -hmm. or more. Um, They may not be able to have medical attention. So as much as they're able to reassure their kids that everything is going to be okay and that it is their caretaker's job to worry, that's really critical and important. And then the other layer is that um, give them information. Don't sugarcoat this situation and don't feel that you're stealing your child's innocence (laughs) or not giving them a lovely worry-free childhood by telling them the truth about this reality because by doing that you are reinforcing white supremacy because there are black indigenous people of color who do not have the luxury of having a fairy tale childhood for their kids because their kids see intergenerational suffering their kids see that their parents have to go to work and get infected or you know loved ones are dying because of this they they're seeing that they live in food deserts that have been completely wiped out of food that was already scarce to begin with and they're hungry at night they are seeing that they can't go to school and that was the only place they were getting meals so if you choose to buffer your child because you don't want them to feel anxiety pressure or worry or you're choosing to engage in privilege that again quarantine and i'm using that really intentionally quarantines you and your kids off from the disease of white supremacy but keeps yourself infected with it right so there's that but then there's also the opportunity to talk about the politics of all of it that hey your kids um they understand that their peers are black brown and you know indigenous they might you know be children of color themselves and so making it real that People of color, um, people from queer families, people who are working poor or more vulnerable and why is an opportunity to, again, reinforce that this structure, this system that we're participating in is inherently violent and flawed and they get to internalize that message and grow up to be people who refuse to participate in that system. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that you really get to do is model the emotional vulnerability and honesty, that is the antidote to white supremacy. You get to say, I, I feel afraid too. Yeah. But, you know, I have some extra resources, so I'm going to redistribute them. I'm going mm-hmm. to give them to people who need them. Um, I'm going to look at ways that I can participate in making sure people in our neighborhood are okay. It's an opportunity to model mutual aid and cooperation, mm-hmm. which, again, are the antidotes to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Competition and extraction are what capitalism want us to engage in. And, you know, this whole centralized healthcare system, this whole privatization bullshit that we live under because of capitalism, it's killing people. Yeah, literally. Yeah, and so our solution is subverting it, agitating, and creating ecosystem-based solutions based on our most immediate community. And mm-hmm. when kids see us doing that, it's, it's an opportunity for them to understand there's a better way, that there's a better version of the world than the one that they were born into. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also important, you know, in our conversations around this pandemic of 
the community, like the, the message that we're sending kids whenever we write off, um, I guess the severity of it by saying it's, it's something that only affects the elderly. Ugh. It's something that only affects those who already have disabilities or autoimmune compris- comp- compromised, yeah. you know, systems. That shit's so ableist. So ableist. And so there's, not only is there so much rampant racism happening, um, which we haven't even talked about with it originated in China and everyone losing their shit about that. But there's also like an incredible amount of ableism that's going on too. And as parents, if we're communicating that to our kids in any way, yeah, it's perpetuating a serious, serious problem that we have. Well, the underlying message is there are people who are disposable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, ah, we're not going to get it. It's just the old and the already sick so they can go. Yeah. Which gosh, we have, we need to have a whole episode about, Intergenerational, intergenerational yeah. living and how we honoring take care our of elders. elders. Yeah. Yes, we should do that next. All right, we're gonna pause this. I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna record that and be right back. Respect your elders. Yeah. So I mean, we have to. We have to be incredibly intentional about the messages that we're giving our kids when we're talking about this as well. Well, I always try to be curious and move to the, like, why? Why do we say that? Why does it feel okay to say, oh, well, it's only affecting the elderly? Mm-hmm. And I think. In so many ways, it's capitalism that has conditioned us to believe that when you reach a certain age and you can no longer work and contribute to the economy, you suddenly have no value. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you reach a certain age and you're not sexually desirable or attractive, um, when you the cost of keeping you alive is not, you know, there's a cost-benefit analysis yeah. to your existence. Um you know, white supremacy has conditioned us to believe that our elders are just sort of disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, but in so many indigenous traditions, we know that our elders are the history keepers. They're the, mm-hmm. the most sacred of teachers, and they're no different than our children, right? That our children are a beginning and our elders are an end or a continuation into a different kind of existing. And it's a continuum and that we need both ends of that spectrum, and so we, in, a, in many ways, we treat the elderly and children in the same way. Yeah. And they're the most vulnerable um, members of our community on both ends. Absolutely. Um, but it's capitalism that goes, ah, oh, we're going to shove you away yeah. because you can't work anymore. You can't contribute. And you're ultimately disposable because what, what, do, you, what do you give us? What can we extract from you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's fucked up for so many reasons. But... Um, you know, older people in my life in particular have always been the most crucial members of my life. Yeah. So when I hear people say, oh, well, it only affects the elderly, that lands in a really painful, Tender. painful place. Yeah, absolutely. So don't do that. Right? <laughs> Knock that shit off. Um, what are some things, I guess my next question would be, like, how are we going to take care of ourselves during this time of intense anxiety, intense panic? Uh, I've been seeing people, you know, I've, I've been staying off a lot of social media, actually, this week, because it's overwhelming me. But the times I have been getting on, I've been seeing folks who have been posting about their PTSD and just high levels of panic and anxiety. So yeah. aside from washing our fucking hands... And doing the impossible act of not touching your face. Um, how are we? How are we going to take care of ourselves during you this time? Wait, you can't touch your face, but can you touch your neighbor's face? Question mark. No. <laughs> Hands reaching out. 
touching me, touching <laughs> you. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, don't touch anybody's face. Uh, but yeah, how are we? How are we taking care of ourselves? You know, how are ways that we can do that on an individual family mm-hmm. unit kind of a level, and also, I guess, wrapping up the conversation and bringing it back to. How are we doing that in our communities? I mean, I'm not inclined to give a blanket answer. I think that... there isn't one. Yeah, there isn't one. It really just depends on your ecosystem. But I think all of um, the strategies for survival that folks have start with a, a place of like mental groundedness and clarity around who you want to be and how you want to show up in this moment and what you believe. Because your actions are going to demonstrate what you believe about the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment that so many, particularly white folks who are trying to engage in in internalized white supremacy and to create new legacies for themselves and their children, this is your moment. Yeah. This is the moment where you get to say, even though I feel terrified, even though I'm concerned about having enough, I'm redistributing my access to things to... Uh, communities who typically are, you know, have access issues that structurally are kept from getting what they need. Like this is the moment where you get to teach your children. Um, Because again, fear is the, like it clarifies, it like brings into focus really who we want to be. And some of it is we get in these fight or flight cycles. And so we're not thinking the most logical Um, we're not able to be as grounded as we want to be. And we make a lot of shitty decisions Mm -hmm. believing that it's survival, but we have the power to like slow down and to make a plan and to show up in different ways, even whenever our fear is present. Um, so yeah, I think that's my closing, uh, encouragement is that it starts all with it being like, this is the moment where the rubber hits the road. Is this idea of being anti-oppressive just a philosophy that you like to play around with when things are comfortable or during the time of a pandemic or a fucking war where people are having to flee um, and there's a refugee crisis or, uh, you know, stark stock market is crashing yeah. or whatever else is happening. Those are the moments where you saying that you want to raise children young people in a different way and you want to build a better world, it's, this is your opportunity. Yeah. Great. I love it. Meow, meow. Yeah, let's end it there. Um, I don't think we need to just keep hitting it on the head. I think that, um, you know, I think it's important to just end it here. Yeah. Well you, you well, you know, all the people on the internets are cracking jokes that they're going to be COVID-19 babies in about nine months. Right, yeah. The baby boom that's about to happen. I can't wait to roll out some episodes for those new parents. I know, right? Hey, did you get pregnant during the pandemic? <laughs> well, <laughs> do we have an episode for you? <laughs> let's decolonize your parenting. <laughs> those ads are going to be fantastic. I know. That'll be funny. Um, Also, just P.S., it's okay to feel afraid. Yeah, it is. It's okay to feel uncertain. And also, if you are part of the communities that have your kids at home, it's okay to not fucking homeschool them. Uh, Oh, my God. Just full disclosure, if when our kids have to come home, they're not doing any school. 
No. They're going to watch TV. Yeah. We're going to make them play video games. and I don't col- think we'll have to make them. I think that they'll and love col- that. And color. We, we bought puzzles. They're, like, this it's, is... It's fine if you're giving your kids screen time so you can get stuff done. Like, we're not going to shame parents. There's honestly... I... Ugh. I was, I was not doing it. I was looking on this thread, and there was this white homeschool mom that was like really high and mighty about, well, my kids are never gonna have a gap in their learning. Blah 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 blah. You know what? Shut Fuck up. You. Here's the thing. Fuck There's no you. wrong way to parent during a pandemic. Yeah, Jesus. Is this the time we're gonna be like, oh, suddenly I'm better than you? No. Shut the fuck up. Like. Wow, this just went from, like, PG to rated R. Well, that's what they should expect. There are two listeners should expect us to be dropping F-bombs at this point. Anyway, so part of community care and mutual aid is not judging or ostracizing or isolating other people because they're not doing something the way that you would do it. I think it's fantastic that that white homeschool mom had a whole curriculum that she wrote by hand and made all of her kids whatever. Like Dude, yeah. High That's fuck, what worked for her. High five. But for some of us, the most we can do is like survive day to day and figure out, you know, how to ration off the yeah. food that we have if we don't have access to food in our area and like get our kids through the day and if that's all you do that's enough it's enough i promise it's enough so we appreciate y'all for listening yeah we've missed you mostly mostly yeah and we hope you enjoyed this episode yeah well until next time bye Bye.